another episode of Cross Street Coaching. We're going to be continuing our leadership series, and I am very pleased to welcome another guest into our studio today. We have Dana. Hi, Dana Narazio. So good to see you, Jason. Yeah, it's good to virtually have you as well. And I'm excited to bring you on the show to talk about kind of your melding of leadership and coaching. So the way we start off our show with all of our uh, guests is, how do you like to be introduced, Dana? Yeah, absolutely. Dana Durazio. Um, I am the founder of The Good Hustle, which is my passion project, bringing leadership development and mindfulness and awareness to lots of individuals. Um, and I, I guess my superpower, I like to share that, is uh, all the things that don't go together. That's, that's my superpower. I make them fit. So let's, let's start there. So talk to me about why, why it is viewed that people believe that mindfulness and leadership, that those things, those things are completely separate. They don't go together. Oh, yes. Well, I, I first, I've loved to sit at the line of things that seem to be in completely different worlds. Um, and this is definitely a case uh, in leadership and mindfulness. And I think um, in my journey, I found that there's really no bridge. So there's either you're in one camp, which is, oh, I'm all in touch with my human self. And then there's this other space where it's, I lead and it's strict and I, I'm moving my hands here. I'm so Italian. Um, but it is just not something that integ- integrates with the whole self. It's like almost like you're expected to be a different being when you lead. And I think that mm-hmm. why they're seen is different is because there's not a lot of conversation around, I think, really to lead. You have to be your whole self. And that means you got to really know you. And our society is not one in which we have those places to learn about ourselves. And I think mindfulness is a bridge to it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because when you think about mindfulness and you kind of did this hand gesture, right? These two camps, you kind of grouped your hands on one side and then moved to the other one. When you are more mindful, who does that actually benefit, right? If you are more mindful, more present, isn't that for other people? Aren't you being more mindful so that you can consider your surroundings, including yourself? And so to to me, it seems kind of paradoxical to separate those two things, but you have managed found a way that people do separate them and that you're bridging them. And then you talked about leadership, right? And that was where you moved your hands to the, to the kind of other side here and that people are expecting you to be someone else other than who you naturally are. So talk a little bit about kind of what your viewpoint on those two things and how we start to bring them together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I talked a little bit about the bridging. And I think in all fairness, um, there really aren't a lot of places that are trying to do this bridging of the two. Um, oftentimes, I, I try and describe the emotional intelligence uh, framework. I think that that resonates with people. Um, and as you were just saying, to, to lead, we have to start with ourselves. And I always talk about this as going inward to go outward. So to lead, I think it's important to be intentional. The only way to be intentional is to really understand first what's going on with you inside the human body, right? Again, that's not something our society really likes to do. Keep it separate behind the curtain, right? We're not, we're not sharing that here in the business uh, world. But truly to lead intentionally, that self-work, the going inward part, is what allows us to go outward and really intentionally make choices, connect with one another, and I would argue to lead well. Yeah. So when you're talking with people, either it's potential clients or talking with others, and they're going, well, that all sounds great. 
But how does that make someone better at um, balancing their profit and losses or managing their budget or making sure people show up to meetings on time? What is it that you say to them when they start taking those very, very tactical approaches? Yeah. Um, well, I will, I will own that most, a lot of times people come and just say I'm burnout. So I'm often dealing with the wellness side of this, but when people do start mm-hmm. to ask and dig a little bit deeper and say, well, why should this matter to me? Um, as a leader, right. I've got a bottom line. Um, I need to make a profit or I'm having challenges with, um, morale or, uh, toxicness at work. And I, I always share back, well, truly, uh, when we come to work or leave work, we're human. And if we could just start there, which they, of course, give me a funny look. Um, and I and I share, so if we're able to understand what's driving us, what's motivating us, um, that chatter in our heads that maybe is distracting us or these old worn, uh, worn out narratives um, that aren't serving us anymore, I think we can start to realize and, and kind of pause and have the space between all these things that are going on internally, all these things that are going on externally, and we kind of get to view it and choose. And so back to that really tactile of how's this going to help me with my budget, my bottom line, how's this going to help me get people into meetings? I think for the meetings part, I think you can be more intentional about your culture that you're creating or the environment that you're creating as a leader. And so that would be my, my answer to the meeting part. Um, and also having the opportunity, because when you do this work, and I think mindfulness is a vehicle to understanding the self, you really begin to then be able to really see other people. And I think you can become more empathetic, more understanding, or just have an opportunity to really hear someone out. So that might be something that's maybe not getting people to a meeting on time. Um, and to the budget is the bottom line. I think it really lets you understand um, what's most important. And um, really hone in on what's at the core in the moment of what's most important. And I think that that just multiplies itself, right, in terms of your long-term strategy of making your revenue or whatever it is that your work goals are. Yeah. What do you find that people often say to that? Like, what's most important? Especially because, as you kind of said, most leaders that come to you, that they're, they're in a rut. It sounds like they're open or they're ready to do some kind of work. And so when you're focusing them, leaders that are ready to start figuring out for themselves, what do they start to classify? Like, what are the common things that they find that are most important to them? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, in um, the current situation that we're in right now in a pandemic, uh, this has brought health and wellness, I think, to the forefront. So a lot of times this is um, what I hear first is that individuals come and say, hey, I'm just burnt out. Like, I can't do this, et cetera. Um, I need a break. And so a lot of the conversation that we have is really around this giving permission, giving permission to do what it is that you need. And when people are asked what's most important in the moment, um, it's kind of reowning, reclaiming the present moment. Um, this might sound kind of out there, but I, I just mean in terms of taking a second and taking a breath and saying, what is it that I actually need right now? And it could just be lunch or it could be, I need a bio break. Right, but like we, we oftentimes just don't, we really ignore ourselves and ignore what it is that we need. Um, so when I'm engaging in those types of conversations, um, individuals will oftentimes come with a very honest answer of, I think I just need some rest or I just need a moment. I just need a break. And it's just this amazing um, exchange that happens when you hold some safe space and make it okay to 
um, ask for what you need or share it out loud. And especially for a leader, and I work with a lot of individuals in um, who are public servants who serve in government. Um, and that's not a, you're just supposed to show up all the time. There's no, I need. And so that's a lot of times the conversations that we have is a safe space to ask for. Yeah, I need a breath. I need a break. Or I need a connecting community. I'm feeling isolated. Yeah, you, you classified this as it might be out there. And is that really what, what people are considering radical? Like, I need to take lunch. I need to use the restroom. Like, that's, that's what qualifies as, as crazy left field. Well, I think when you start to, um, I said important in this moment, because then it starts to sound like a meditation, mm-hmm. right? Or um, if you do yoga or anything like that, it might start to, to seem a little, a little out there. Um, but yeah, I think the, the radical part about it is giving permission to take the second and actually ask yourself. I think that's the radical part because we don't really have many opportunities in our community, in the in, in work, depending on what kind of work we do. But um, I would say the vast majority of us don't have those moments to just take a pause and actually, or even have someone ask like, hey, what do you need right now? Or what's, what's important right now in this moment to you? So when you start finding people that uh, that are into this, right? They're 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 saying I'm I need help, not necessarily into this, but they they get it, right? They're like, okay, so you're telling me if I start meditating with an app and I start doing yoga and drinking herbal tea, that it's all gonna fall into place. Now, if you could just tell me how I get my boss on board, how I get my team on board, you know, is that is that kind of the the order of events it usually takes that they they're really in and they just want to change the environment around them or is it some other kind of scenario? Yeah, well, actually, um, what's really interesting is that most people. So this whole experiment started actually um, a couple years ago, and first it started with me just to share this context. And I was going through a lot of uh, shifts in my life, uh, some real big stressors, um, some more positive, some more you know, uh, a little trying. And so I decided to walk down this path of doing the eight week mindfulness, um, mindfulness based stress reduction training. And so I went through that process. And at the same time, I decided I wanted to deepen my yoga practice and become a certified yoga instructor. And then when I came out of these trainings, I actually was faced with a very, um, a very toxic work environment uh, situation that um, some individuals were facing. And And so this word mindfulness started floating around. And what actually caught people was this idea of, well, I've been hearing this word. What is it? Like, can we, can I try it? Like, and I just would start sharing what I was learning. And then people would say, well, how do I do it? And so this was kind of the conversation that started all of it, that people were starting to say, oh, so I don't have to look like this or know this or do this. And I'm like, no, it's for, for, for everyone, this like access point. And so to answer your original question, um, really individuals have this experience. So I hold space every Tuesday um, morning for 15 minutes and anyone who wants to come meditate can come meditate. And I weave in some mindfulness practices. And from that experience, I found people are wanting to bring people from their community in, people from their families in. They want to share it because it becomes the space for them, or they want to bring it into their offices. So yes, people, once they experience it and make it their own, they want to bring more people in to make it their own as well. Nice. So people that are finding, you know, relief or basically positive improvement for this, they want to share with others, not necessarily be like, no, I'm, I'm great. I drank the herbal tea. I stretched you now let me assign the other people that I need to be more mindful to you. It's more of a sharing, more of a 
Sounds like a collaborative approach. Yeah, it's definitely about community. And I think this goes all all the way back to the beginning of where we started our conversation of having this permission to ask for what you need or note it. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation around self-care. I won't go there for too long um, because I think it's gotten blown up into um, products and and just messaging that's really not authentic. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a lonely, isolating thing when you think about taking care. And I think that it's a really unique opportunity when you offer a community approach to taking care. So everyone shows up. It's their own own thing, their own way. They might all take part in the same practice, but what you take from it and leave with is your own and is different. And I think it's that community aspect, back to the collaborating. People, I think, are really seeking connection and healing. And that's what I'm seeing is resonating. So they're bringing others to say, hey, this was really powerful for me. Maybe you want to come join too. Come be part of the community. Awesome. So what does it actually entail if someone starts to do that? So you talked about kind of these mindful mornings, how people start for, you know, for 15 minutes, they're inviting other people. What are the other kind of interventions or things that you're teaching them to do to have these things be present in their day-to-day lives? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so you, everyone can come and practice for 15 minutes. Um, and I always say wiggles are not welcome or wiggles are welcome. I'm sorry. Wiggles are welcome. Um, because right. It's back to your own practice. Um, and I think really, um, what I encourage individuals to do is just simple things. It doesn't have to be special. And I always say, I invite people to start with breath because that's our own rhythm and our own invitation every moment back to ourselves. And there's actually, um, a whole process that happens in our bodies because I will totally nerd out about the science in case people are like, why did I feel that way? Why did that work? That was weird. And I'm like, actually, it's not weird. It's our bodies. Like, this is how this happens. So just take three breaths, right? And that's that's normally where I have people start. Um, and I say, you know, the first breath, just note your body. You know, like, where are you in space right now? You don't have to close your eyes. And then I offer the next breath, notice your breathing. And then the next one, asking people to say, okay, so what's most important right now in this moment. And people are like, oh, wow, that worked. And I'm like, yeah, because when you can really get back to breath, we get out of our fight or flight, right? We get out of our, our uh, stress zone and we start to bring on our everything's okay, parasympathetic response, right? And system. And so that's actually what's happening. Yeah, that is really cool. The parasympathetic <laughs> response. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? So, right. So I, I am not a scientist. I will give you my high level of this. So when there's something that happens in our lives, right? We can use work, right? We'll go back to the leadership piece. because something stressful happens. A lot of times so we'll call it a trigger, something external to us. And so then our body will start to try, our mind will try and understand what exactly is this trigger. Um, and if it's something that's a stress-inducing trigger, um, what happens is sometimes our body, especially right now, we're all in a heightened state, we're already all stressed, um, we will hijack our rational brain and go right into, okay, fight or flight, fight or flight. We've got to make a decision, like something needs to happen, I need to keep myself safe. Um, but if we can pause and we can take a breath, we let our body reset and we can bring back um, our rational thinking, our prefrontal cortex, um, and we can actually make a choice. Um, and so when we are in that safe space, not in our triggered state, um, that's the space where we can intentionally make a decision versus maybe like quickly, maybe saying something we don't mean, or basically just having a reaction. It's, it's not a rational response 
always. So it sounds like the meditation and the work and the focusing acts that you're doing help them get to this point where they're making better decisions or they're considering the environment as a leader that they are entering into or that they are creating. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. And there's a lot of research. Um, actually, there's not a lot, but there is some great research uh, that's beginning to emerge as individuals are starting to realize the impacts of mindfulness, um, that it absolutely helps us make better decisions. The military here in the U.S. is using it, the DOD. Um, it really helps you to, in any stressful moments, bring the rational thinking back online. There's um, some work in the U.K. as well. Uh, if anyone's interested in digging into this, um, the Mindful Nation Report, uh, Mindful UK, uh, you can go and dig a little bit more into how this is something also to help with civil discourse, right, and collaborating and connection. Because once we can kind of figure out and do this back to the emotional intelligence, self-awareness leads to self-management which then leads to all the external things that we want a leader to be able to do, like creating a culture, um, being able to engage, inspire, lead. So all that self-work that um, comes with this awareness that mindfulness can offer you, that's how we get to the, yes, you can intentionally choose and create the culture, the interaction, the collaboration. So it's called the good hustle. (laughs) Yes. How did you get into this work? Yeah, Um, it's been a journey. It's been a number of years. Um, and as I think about it, there was always this, um, this thread of an interest of impact. I always was really interested in what it would mean to make a positive impact. And this took many different forms throughout my uh, life and career from traveling overseas and, uh, building schools in, um, in, in, uh, Vietnam to, um, you know, serving the AmeriCorps. And then I, I landed in this space where I was actually part of collaboratives and, and tables that were spanning individuals and partners across cities, across states, and trying to get them to work together. Um, and so this thread all the way through that maybe I was aware of, or maybe others weren't, I wasn't as much was, um, I was really intrigued about the holding the space. Like, how do you come to the table and feel safe enough to be who you are, um, to share what you have to offer? Um, and then to collaborate and partner with others to really make change happen on the ground. And so this turned into me starting to realize um, my different skill set that I was enjoying sharing around holding the space. And it was really in terms of uh, teaching and, and facilitating uh, through this uh, movement, yoga uh, work, mindfulness and meditation work, and then also through coaching. So that kind of lands me to where I am right now. Um, that really the the good hustle is just this passion work of holding safe space, holding safe space so that we don't just um, get aware and uh, be able to step fully into spaces, but that we don't just survive, but we thrive and really are understanding what it is that we need so that we can do the internal so we can go outward and do the external work. Yeah. So it sounds like you, like you were doing work in the public sector or government sector yep. and, and kind of walk me through the thread. So you had talked about that you were discovering it and starting to share it with coworkers. What did that look yeah, like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So all that work I was talking about was um, either in quasi-governmental or community organization that was bringing government and community and uh, business together. Um, so yeah, I, I noted this experiment that I started, wow, I think it was about uh, two years ago, possibly. Yeah. Um, and 
uh, we're going through some uh, difficult times in my office, um, just normal uh, transition stress. Um, nothing, nothing negative per se, but just the stress was really felt. And so I was a newly minted, uh, yoga instructor and, uh, had recently finished my mindfulness training. Um, and so I decided to, why don't I just bring this in? Why don't I just see what happens? And so, um, I rented one of the, or, or reserved one of the conference rooms and, uh, and then we have a, a lovely space upstairs. So I, I rented that one for, for yoga. And I just put it out and said, hey, I'm going to hold some space. If, if you want to come practice with me, um, open to everyone, no experience needed, you know, come, come meditate with me and come do yoga. And we, I just picked two different days of the week and was like, all right, we'll just see what happens. Maybe no one will come. Maybe a couple people will come. And I was really amazed that um, I had individuals who ranged in age from the youngest to some of our oldest employees uh, all across every department uh, started raising their hands and showing up um, and coming to practice. And so some picked meditation and some picked yoga. Um, and then this became a thing. Um, it was just supposed to be a summer experiment for two or three months. Um, and it's still going to this day. And it actually got out into the community. So now there's community members who uh, actually found they need a a little mindfulness card during, um, we have conferences often at our office and, um, it's a very stressful time. So I was just a little reminder, three things you could do, uh, to make sure to stay mindful and intentional during the stressful time. And some individuals at the conference, um, pick them up. They, they found them and they're like, can we come too? And so the start of this whole thing, that is where I am right here today, where we have this huge community of individuals all over the U.S. who are, calling in and practicing and talking to one another and we're collectively holding space so that we can we can be well and we can show up. Yeah, I mean Dana it evokes a very very footloose kind of moment, right? Where the stuffy boardroom and people are arguing and then everyone pushes like the the tables and the chairs and they roll out yoga mats, people are loosening their ties, kicking off the flats and then everyone starts, you know, doing uh doing these stretches, right? Yeah. Going into half pigeon and downward facing dog. So kind of talk about how this, how this kind of caught on and what this was sing signaling to you that this, there is something here. Yeah. And that actually what you described is exactly how it happened. We were like literally pushing tables, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, my, uh, yeah, my, my CEO came by, I was like, what is going on? Uh, though, He's, he definitely practices with us sometimes. Um, yeah, we would all push all the furniture and for the meditation, we'd all like, we all grew our room. We we're all crowded in there. Again, this is pre-pandemic um, where we could be that close. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then, you know, I started having people drop by my office um, and they started asking questions like, hey, can I come? Yeah, of course you can come. Like, um, hey, are we practicing today? And this would be, you know, for yoga or for the mindfulness and meditation. And then I started getting questions around um, for asking for resources. Hey, I'm trying to practice at home too. Or, hey, I want to get a mat. Like, thanks for bringing us mats. Like, I want to get my own because I really like this. Um, and I think I realized that it was a thing when it just started to go like rapid fire around the organization and people just started bringing people. Um, and that people who people were showing up who had never stepped into the space before and were feeling comfortable enough to say like, hey, I haven't done this before, but you know, could I, I, I want to experience this. Can I, 
I'm going to dip a toe in. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Or they would say, I was too scared to go to, you know, the studio, or I was too like nervous to, you know, go over to the meditation center because I don't know, I never did it before. So I started to realize that there was a great need for this. It's for everyone. It's accessible. Um, it's authentic. It's yours. Um, and just creating a safe community space for individuals to just have a moment with themselves, but also doing it in community. That's really powerful as a community part, not just the solo practice. It's curious that you call this the good hustle because hustle mentality in hustle business is all about go, 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 right? Oh, do you like doing that crazy craft? Well, you need to open an Etsy store. You need to have your third job. You need, what are you doing on the weekends? You know, you need to have your Instagram store or this, that, or need to be engaging social media or going to craft fairs, whatever. And the way that you're describing what is taking place is people actually, and what we kind of talked about in the first part of the show was teaching people to slow down and be present through mindfulness, through yoga work. So talk to me about how you landed on the name, The Good Hustle, because it sounds like it could be a force used for good or for evil, right? Same thing like with self-care, where now self-care is about uh, White Claw Wednesday and going, woo, right? Having a good time. Oh, I cringe. Kind (laughs) of took took a different direction. Yeah, yeah. No, so it was on purpose. It was very intentional. Um, so I'm definitely a recovering type A, like, uh, if you talk to anyone I, I, um, who works with me or who I coach with, I mean, I, they coach me, um, so like, oh, she always has her calendar, right? Like I, I'm definitely, um, is someone who, who is focused, but you know, I started to realize, um, that there is another way, there's another way to do work. There's another way to show up. Um, and what that involves is this whole person approach. And so I intentionally called it the good hustle because I feel like this is the, the, the good way, if you will. Not that it's the right way, but maybe it's a better way to start thinking about how we decide to give our energy out there into the world, how we decide we want to engage in, and do the work. And so it's really taking a whole person approach to support you and giving you the opportunity, yes, to pause, um, giving you the opportunity to, you know, taking care or resting that is not a bad word. Um, I was just listening to, uh, an interview, uh, with, uh, Sharon Salzberg and she was just sharing, you know, rest is important. We can't show up for things in life if we don't take care, like that nurturing restorative piece, like it's really important. So the good hustle is basically that the idea that yes, you can go achieve the things that you want, but again, it's not the survival mentality, but really a thriving mentality. And then it's all of you. We don't, we don't like cut ourselves into pieces and like a piece shows up to the office, a piece shows up in our home. Like it's all of us. We show up everywhere. And I just think it's time that we, we embrace that. That's reality, right? So there's a way to show up and do it, but bring everything, bring all of you. I like that. So as you've been diving into this work, how has this changed you personally and your work right now? Do you just levitate from chair, office chair to office chair as between meditation practices? And Yeah, I know. Well, um, so for me, I have found it, well, in the most immediate um, during these current times, I found it as a, as a refuge for me. Uh, it's how I kept going and being able to hold space for others was to lean back into those practices. Um, and I think it has also really personally, it's allowed me to really understand what's most important and kind of reset my rhythm. Um, as someone who was like a go, go, go all the time, um, is someone who still works really hard, but 
keeps it in balance and really understands what that balance means. Is this this artful play of of trying, um, right? And you might tip one way too far, but you can come on back. Um, and it's also just made me realize in going on this journey that there's so many others who just want the invitation to feel like they can come to that table to learn that there's another way that you can show up, um, that you can kind of paint your another picture of how you want to lead. Um, or for some, I found it's even opened up a space where people start to realize, oh, like, um, let me explain the metaphor that I think will, will help this. I think that sometimes we can go through life and feel like we've got a filing cabinet. Um, if you know me, you've, you've known this, you've, you've heard me say this so many times. And sometimes we just pick by years, you know, I'm a certain age and we pick up the file, we open the file cabinet drawer and we pull out the file and we read what's on the list or the checklist of what maybe we're supposed to have accomplished or be doing. Um, and that's fine. I no judgment. But I think what I've learned um, through this practice and I'm seeing that others are learning is you don't need the filing cabinet. You just need what you got right here and you just show up with. And the more you have the time to pause, you get this moment to kind of get outside of um, that that cabinet or, you know, the, the confines of what's supposed to be or um, what's expected. And you actually get to ask yourself instead of the, what do I need? The, you know, what do I want? You know, like I'm finding a lot of people are finding their passion work by taking this pause and having the courage to say, oh, I could paint my own picture of my life. It doesn't have to come out of the filing cabinet. Like I can actually, I can curate my experience. I can curate how I show up. I'm in control of that and how I interact with others. Yeah, that really resonates with me. That's another good one, right? To curate what my life consists of. I like that one a lot as well. So Dana, we often ask most of our guests on the show how, if they are so focused on taking care of other people, how they take care of themselves. So you've given us kind of some snippets of your personal philosophy. What else are you doing to stay sane in these big question mark times, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking me that. Because um, I, I love to share um, about my personal practice because people are always asking. Um, and so I think for me, um, back to that calendar. I, I'm a recovering type A, as I said. Um, I actually hold spots on my calendar. Um, they say SD for, yes, we're going to use the word self-care. No, there's no white claw involved in them. <laughs> and, um, and so I make sure to have breathers, like actual pauses in my day. Um, and those are sacred spots on my calendar. Um, you know, uh, those that I work with or, or interact with, they know um, what those, what SD means. So that's one thing I do is kind of taking back my day and making sure that, you know, I've got time to eat. I have uh, reminders even for, um, you know, three breaths, just to remind me to breathe. Um, I'm really big about unplugging. So when I'm done my work day, I'm done my work day and I'm, I'm refocusing on something else, right. That serves me. Um, I always make sure to come back to the question of what do I need and is this serving me and, and taking honest stock of that. Um, and then being brave enough to make the choices, you know, everyone's not going to be happy with the choice that you might make, right? If it's something that's not serving you, um, you know, and gratitude also is a really powerful practice. Uh, anyone who follows Brené Brown's work, uh, I'm a big fan. She speaks about this uh, in The Gifts of Imperfection um, and that uh, gratitude and joy have this really beautiful link. And I think in order to really be present and take in all the things around us to be able to do the curating um, is also just taking note of the things, even small things, right? Um, 
that are giving to us or filling our tanks. I think that's really important. So I have a pretty regular practice around that. Yep. Brene Brown comes up quite often on the show. So it sounds like reserving that time on the calendar, unplugging, Mm -hmm. being brave, and then also focusing your attentions to something else outside of work. Yeah. All, All good sound words of advice. Well, Dana, this has been an excellent short chat. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about yeah, absolutely. you? Absolutely. You can uh, find me online um, at goodhuffle.org. Um, you can also find me on uh, Instagram at um, goodhufflenow. Uh, I think those are the two main ways that you can uh, you can reach out. You can also send me a note if you want. Dana, D-A-N-A at goodhuffle.org. And I'd love to hear from you. Excellent. We'll have links to all those in the show notes as per usual. Dana, any last words before we sign off for today? Just gratitude. Thank you for this opportunity to get to share a little bit about this work that I think is so important. And I hope that maybe even if just one person is inspired to just be able to answer the question of what do I need or what's important in this moment. So thank you, Jason. I'm appreciative. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope so as well. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time.